Welcome back to another episode, and I hope that you enjoyed these first few weeks of We Are Black History in the Making. Um, if you enjoyed these episodes, please go and leave a, a review. A five-star review would be greatly appreciated. You can go to my website, drderick, D-E-R-R-I-C-K, thesportsdr.com. You can leave a review on my website, um, and please give feedback of how each episode might have helped you or if something stood out in each episode, please share that with me. And we have another treat for you today. We have Mr. Noah Harris, who is the immediate past president of Harvard College. Um, he is the first African-American president of the college, which was established in 1636. So needless to say, he is an overachiever. Uh, he is a great student. And he has a great story to share with us today. So without further ado, we'll get into this episode. All right, so welcome back to another episode. And today we have another special guest for you. We have Mr. Noah Harris. He's going to be my youngest guest to date. Um, he's still an undergraduate student at um, Harvard University. Um, so he is will be graduating later on this semester, but very glad to have him here. He's majoring in government with... Um, a minor in history, or is that going to be a double major government in history? It, it'll be a minor. In a history. minor. Okay, so a minor in history. Um, he is an author. He is a musician. He is an athlete. And he is the immediate past president, student body president of Harvard University. So welcome to Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast, Noah. Well, thank you so much for having me. Honored to to um, represent the youth on the on the podcast, you know what I'm Absolutely. saying? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just turned 21. I just saw you just turned 21. Just right? turned just turned 22, actually. 22. All right, so just turned 22. So he is completely, completely legal now. All right, <laughs> man. Well, hey, congratulations on all that you have accomplished in this short amount of time, and you know, really ready to get into your story and hear about your future. You uh, so much. tell us, you know, you grew up in South Mississippi, so attended Oak Grove High School, which is the right. arch rival for my kids school now, Pedal. So, you oh, know, man. even That's man, crazy. it is crazy, this rivalry. Crazy. So even my kids in first and second grade, you mentioned the word Oak Grove and they get a frown on their face right. already. You know? so, <laughs> so they, um, they, 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 they give them that, that propaganda real early to, yeah. to, to teach you the, um, to respect, but also, um, get a little competitive with, with sure. the rival, you know? So I, I would say like Oak Grove and Petal, they, I think they, they profile pretty well. They match up pretty well because mm -hmm. of the communities they come from. But also I think when, and what's not talked about enough because we talk so much about like uh, athletics is how well, how good both of those schools are academically for public schools in Mississippi. Right. Um, and they're always, they're always near the top of, um, any type of academic metric, whether it be state testing all the way from K through 12. So, um, you know, sports, like the rivalry is fierce, but it's, it's tough in the classroom too. Right, right. So tell us about growing up in South Mississippi as a young child. And, you know, number one, growing up in Mississippi, you don't see a lot of people come before you going to Harvard. So talk to me about your family life and what even gave you the intuition to say, I want to go to Harvard for school. You know, well, my family's always been super supportive of me. Uh, my mom, my dad, and my younger sister, who's a sophomore in high school now, you know, we are really tight-knit family. Uh, the rest of my family's from, from Natchez. And so 
just kind of having that foundation, having um, so many people who are in my life supporting me, godparents at my church, um, people in the community to be a mentors, um, everybody all the way up to the mayor of Hattiesburg being in my social circle, uh, my school being supportive. And so I just always had everything that I always needed to develop and also those people in my life to push me to never become complacent and to always realize that there's more that you can do and that no matter what you've achieved, you've never arrived because the destination is the journey. And so I think that's always been instilled in me, education being important, uh, public service, community service being something that's just really valuable and um, a great thing to pursue. And and so I kind of I kind of have realized that because um, I had never seen anyone go to an Ivy League school like Harvard, I I guess there are positives and negatives to that. And I, you know, up until I applied, I kind of probably only saw the negatives. You know, I, I don't know anybody who's done this. How do I even go about this process? My friends are applying to Ole Miss and they're getting in without even writing an essay. And they don't, they don't even have to, you know, I'm writing three essays, taking, you know, multiple variations of standardized tests that other people aren't taking. I'm doing interview prep. And this is just for one school. And I'm thinking about applying to five or six, you know, and of elite schools. And it was just tough. And I think it really taught me the importance of being able to go out on your own and not be too worried about what other people are doing. But the positive aspect is that there was no pressure on me to get into that school. There was no pressure on me to get into Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, what have you, because it's not even something that really even seemed that attainable for me. And so if I had gone to this, um, this elite high school, it's elite prep school where you have two people going to some exceptional school every single year, then it may be different. And I may have been putting pressure on myself from a lot younger of an age. And so I think that's a leg up for me as well. Um, but, you know, it was, it was just something I didn't think was for me. You know, I, I was always into sports. I, I thought I was going to go play basketball or baseball somewhere, but, but I, God just had a different plan. And, you know, I just, I was blessed enough to be able to follow it. Man, all right, you're preaching already. I'm gonna have to slow you down, man. <laughs> so, all right, number one, you said applying to Harvard, Yale, you didn't feel the pressure because right. it wasn't even obtainable. You were already doing something that was outlandish and crazy, right. you know, for your your area. So it took away the pressure. Man, that's that's deep. Um, and then you said the destination is the journey. That's man, the destination is the journey because so many times we look down the road, you know, the arrival fallacy. When I make it to Harvard, when I make it to medical school, when I get this first job, when I get this first check, and we're always looking past where we are, but the destination is the journey. Um, and really enjoying that, you know, we say trust the process, but enjoying every day of the journey is really where. Uh, satisfaction comes and you know you're able to take it all in along the journey so you know I like that all right so you've applied to so at what point did you decide let's chase Ivy League school 
So that's kind of a long story, but I, I'll give you the short version. So, yeah. you know, my mom was kind of saying, you know, why not, why not look at Harvard? You know, why not do this and that? Because for my whole high school career, I was, I was set on Vanderbilt. I wanted to, first I wanted to play basketball at Vanderbilt. You know, it looked like that wasn't going to probably happen. Then I was like, okay, I'll just go to Vanderbilt and be a student since it's a great school. But I was so, because I, we had visited there when I was in ninth grade. And so I was so set on that. And so my mom just encouraged me to be like, you know, look at other options as well. And so she sent me to this Stanford law camp, um, you know, never even been to California before. And so I'm out there and, you know, we're learning how to be attorneys and all this other stuff. And we, we have a mock trial competition and I won the best attorney award and it's kids, elite students from all over the country. And you know, I'm asking them, you know, where they're applying, you know, next year, because this was just before my senior year. And they're like, oh, we're going to um, Chicago, MIT, Harvard, Yale, Dartmouth, Brown, um, Georgetown. And I was like, wow, you know, none of these, none of these students here are, are any better than me, you know? So maybe I need to be thinking about a different path or like, you know, different options for myself uh, than what I had previously been considering. And so I think that was just an, uh, an eye-opening moment because a lot of the times, you know, when, when you're from, I guess, another negative to never seeing anyone do something like this is you don't even know where the bar is. Mm. You know, you're just doing your best trying to make it, trying to do everything that you can, but you don't even know where that measures up to the people who get into these schools. And so I think that was just a moment for me that kind of showed me where I measured up and gave me a little bit of the confidence to be like, yeah, these schools are are not only attainable, but within reach. Right. And that was an impactful moment. I mean, you got out of your comfort zone. Your mother took you out of your surroundings, right. put you in a competition with the elite you know i'm sure that these kids were coming from boarding schools and charter schools and elite private schools across the country and here you are coming from south mississippi you know and you step up to the mic and you rock the mic and everybody's like wow you know okay and that allowed you to see i can compete right so now your scope is a lot bigger than what it was even walking into that competition so all right now you started to write a book in high school too right Tell us about um, that. Yeah, oh. so my, my children's book, Successville, I, um, I started writing it just, just after high school. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> you thought, I, man, um, come on, I did my homework. <laughs> right, right. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I wrote the book mainly because I knew that I was going uh, really far away, and I'd never really been away from home to, to this extent of time um, at any other time in my life. And so it was just, I was trying to figure out a way to give back to my community and, and others like it, who had people, I feel like me, who had a lot of talent and potential and maybe didn't have that mom or that figure in their life who said, you know, go for something more, think about your options, expand your viewpoint of thinking past just what you see down the road every single day. And so that kind of became the children's book, Successville, to encourage young people 
to think about early what they want to be when they want to when they grow up and to think about what they're passionate about so that they can kind of work around a system that seems to limit opportunities rather than expand them. So if, if you're in, if you're, um, let's say, eight years old, and you start telling people, okay, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a doctor, then people can, can start to guide you in the right direction. You can start figuring out, okay, if I want to be a doctor, I need to be good at science, I need to be taking these classes in middle school, getting ready for high school, etc. Uh, and, and really thinking about maybe maybe working at the hospital or something like that. Whereas what happens a lot of the time, and I've seen this firsthand that at Oak Grove is you'll have students come up and say like, okay, I want to be a doctor and they're in 10th grade and they don't, they haven't taken, you know, any of the science classes that they need. They haven't taken physics. They haven't taken um, chemistry. They've just been trying to graduate high school rather than being on the trajectory of someone who's going to be a doctor and be able to go through that rigorous process of applying to medical school and being pre-med, you know, and because there aren't as many people in our lives to kind of point us in that direction, if they're not familiar with the field, then it can be hard to kind of walk that walk, if you know what I mean. So the success bill is really trying to preach to people that success looks different for everybody, but whatever your gifts and talents set you on a path to achieve that's exceptional and that you have the power to go out and do it yeah so I, I spoke with a high school group earlier today and we talked about this exact thing I said look you're in your junior and senior year of high school it's past the point to just throw out I think I want to do something now you're to the point where you got to say all right I want to be a doctor to be a doctor I need to have this ACT score I need to go to this school I need to be shadowing. I need to start getting, start checking boxes, not just chasing dreams, but to be able to do, make steps toward that dream. And, you know, that's exactly what you're talking about in this book. And, you know, I can't wait for my kids to get into it and to really, you know, because hearing this stuff early on, I don't feel it's too early. And I tell people, if you say today you want to be a doctor and three years from now, you want to be a veterinarian, you're still heading in the right direction. You know, you have to get the grades first and you got to do certain things. But as long as you're moving in that direction, you're not going to go wrong. So uh, as far as Successville, where is it? Have you found out where it's located or do you know exactly where it's located? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, when when I go and do these programs in person, I've done a lot less of them in person since the pandemic, of course. But what I tell them is that um, that I haven't even. I haven't arrived and you should never arrive. And so I'm saying that I'm on route to, to my success bill, but right now I'm really laser focused on, on being an, an attorney. And I think, cause that, that's, that's been my success bill since, since I was in sixth, seventh grade, you know, just realizing that the voice that um, people have empowered me to have and the opportunities that I've been given have built up and uh, made more confident that I can use that voice to, to help people, you know, in, in the legal field and um, help them get through certain situations because our, our criminal justice system, it just, it just doesn't work, you know, um, for, for the people who need it to work for them. 
Mm. Um, it, it usually privileges the, the rich and powerful and those who can, um, who can navigate, you know, certain things. And, and so, you know, it, it's just, it's just really something that I, I'm, I'm really passionate about. It, it, it's able to combine a, a love of public speaking and public service with the, the government and the statutes, statutes that, um, that drive our, our livelihoods. And so, you know, it's, um, it's something that I'm really excited to kind of get into and kind of the way that the kind of pre-law um, area works is that uh, they basically lock you out of the legal field until you get into law school. And so all the way up through high school, all the way up through college, you really can't kind of get into that work um, until you are in law school and then they take law students on as, as interns. And so it's something that I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Gotcha. So let's have a quick commercial break. Where can everybody find, you know, this gear? Um, how can they get a book? Where can they find Successful? How can they purchase it? Okay. So um, for all the gear you can, you can purchase at tinyurl.com slash successville. That pretty much takes you to um, Amazon and where all the stuff is. And uh, the book is available anywhere online. Books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart. Um, and in person, you can actually buy the hardcover copy from, from T-Bones Records in, in Hattiesburg. Okay. And so continuing to working on, 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 on getting it in more places. And um, that's, that's a ever going task as well. But um, any, any support would, would be helpful. Hey, reach out to them. Hey, we, we got to get people in contact with you. Right. All right. So now we've made it from Oak Grove to Harvard. Right. So now you're at Harvard. Um, tell us about that experience. So, you know, it's, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced. And I've just never seen this type of diversity, this type of wealth, this type of privilege, this type of um, human excellence, honest, honestly, you know, every, every person has some type of just top-notch excellent quality about themselves, whether they're going to, you know, go on to be the next kind of physicist or whether they're creating this nonprofit that's going to save lives or, you know, they are winning the, the Rose Scholarship or they're, they're just doing, people are doing amazing things and you wouldn't even believe the type of things that are happening and even people who you don't think are doing well in school, it turns out that they're spending 90% of the time on, on their startup that's going to make them a millionaire in the next three years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> with or without a degree. <laughs> right. And with or without a degree. But they'll graduate anyway yeah. because, you know, that's, that's just how it, how it works. And so you're constantly inspired by, by what can be. But at the same time, I think that kind of feeling of always being surrounded by greatness can be really stressful and stifling to, to your own psyche and your own like excellence as well. Because if you're like, well, such and such is doing this and such and such is doing this and my dude down the street or my, uh, my, my person or my guy like down the hall is doing this. And you, you try to kind of make yourself sometimes into a conglomeration of all those people mm. and try to do everything and if you do that, and I've done that, you know, one time or, you know, another, but 
you'll, you'll just burn out. And so I think being in a place like this really teaches you how to stay within yourself. And it really teaches you how to reaffirm that you are enough um, and that, that you have, that you are running a race, that you are on a journey that is unique from everyone else. And so if someone else, um, you know, let's say, um, have, is going to work at Goldman Sachs next year, um, that doesn't mean that you now have to work at Goldman Sachs next year because you're going to be doing such and such great job that, that you want to do. You know what I mean? And so realizing that you have to stay in your own lane and that other people have their lanes, but you can't be comparing what you perceive other people's lives to be to, to what yours is because it's only detrimental to your progress. Right. And it's perception too, right? right. Um, because it's never reality. It's never reality. So, you know, and that goes along with the stress of being in that environment and, you right. know, high suicide rate at Ivy League schools and, right. you know, always trying to measure up to someone else. But that comes with maturity because I'm sure when you first walk on campus and your head is turning this way and that way, you know, but it takes time to be able to build confidence and, okay, this is my track. This is my journey. I can't worry about what my neighbor down the hall is doing. I have greatness in me. Um, so how did you kind of, you mentioned like at some point you kind of got distracted by that. Tell us about the process of kind of arriving to who you are now. Yeah, I mean, well, I think when you just see all, all those things going on, you're like, wow, you know, I wish, you know, I wish I was doing that or I wish I had that or I wish my parent was the CEO of like, I don't know, FedEx. <laughs> you know, right, right. and, and it's not, not a made up story, right? No, no. And I, or like I was Malia Obama, who was here as as recently as last year, or Yar Shahidi, who was on Blackish and um and all these other movies and stuff. And so it's like you're always when you're always surrounded by all of that, it's kind of hard to what's the word? Um kind of put your blinders on and remind yourself that you're on your your path that is built for you that God has destined for you and that he's going to give you things and he's going to bring you certain things in your own time and in your own journey and so being able to have the maturity now for me to be able to just be able to celebrate other people yeah. you know when they're doing amazing things and recognizing that you know, I've got greatness in me too. And just because someone else is, just because someone else is shining doesn't mean that that's a knock on my shine. If you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like my, one of my, one of my really good friends who I knew before college from a scholarship program last night, just, um, just won the quarterfinal round of the college Jeopardy national championship. And we were at a we were at a um, a watch party with her because they're all pre-recorded, and you know she, you know she's getting one ride and we're all cheering and and I and afterward you know you're just so happy that she won and you're just like you just you know it's just a process and a happiness of seeing other people happy and just sharing in that joy rather than me being like, oh man, I need, I need to get on Jeopardy now. Right. You know I mean? <laughs> I'll show you next year. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and looking at some of those questions, I, I don't know if I want that smoke. So right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I just, you. you just, sometimes you just got to celebrate greatness. 
and know that that you are you are enough, more than enough for anything that you ever want to achieve. But make sure that you want to achieve it because that's what you want to do, not because you know so everyone else is doing all of these things to your right to your left. Yeah, and then speak on the uh, diversity. I was very impressed that um, I think it was sixteen percent African American and right. maybe fifteen percent um, or twenty six percent Asian and fourteen or fifteen percent. Um, Hispanic. So right. speak to the diversity of Harvard. Right. Yeah. Th- this is another component that, you know, I've just never seen, you know, at home. It's like usually somebody is, is white or somebody is black. That's usually like a 60, 40 combination. There's there's Native American, there's, you know, Latino here and there, but there's Asian as well. But those are never even more than like between three and four percent. And mm-hmm. So it's like you get here and people are speaking dozens of languages that, that you can't even recognize. You know, at home, it's like if somebody's speaking a foreign language, Spanish or something right. like that. And it's just, I think it broadens your worldview and your view of how people come um, to this place and how they live their lives in whether it be the Philippines or, um, I don't know, India or um, Australia or Egypt. And it really just gives you a glimpse into what people's lives are like all around the world and gives you a different sense of empathy for how people live not when they're not in this country. You know, like I think the pandemic really spoke volumes on that because, you know, like America, when the pandemic started, there was a a PPE shortage of masks and Mm -hmm. personal protective equipment because everyone was buying it up. And so you had the United States and China and maybe like two other countries actually have enough PPE for their citizens. And some of these other countries were just like, yeah, we don't have masks. So they were dying at disproportionate rates at the beginning of the pandemic. And when the vaccine started to ramp up, almost no one had, there are still countries who can't get the vaccine. Right, um, exactly. To the, you know, the United States, we have, we have three different types of vaccines and two different types of boosters and vaccines for, for young people and, and kids as well, you know, that have all been cleared. And we have those in abundance. And so just looking at how blessed you are even to just be in this country, um, much, much less you know, to have the experiences that you're having in this country. And so I think it just puts into perspective how much privilege we have and how how much people like in different parts of the world wish they could have, you know, just a, a, a degree of the things that we take for granted. Absolutely. And, and so, and I think that, that was definitely a humbling experience for me, for sure. Like to see different types of people um, you know, people from all over the world, it just, it just changes how you, how you view, how you view society. Sure. Sure. So you get to Massachusetts, you get settled in, and then what gives you the audacity to say, I'm a public school student from Mississippi. I'm about to be (laughs) student body president. Well, you know, that wasn't the first, that wasn't the first idea, but it was, it was mainly kind of my interest in, in government, Mm-hmm. In, in the law like field so initially I was like 
you know, I, I wanted to get into Harvard Law School. I, that was something that I saw kind of for myself. And I was like, okay, how am I going to do that? <laughs> I'm like, I'm at Harvard, but I don't know how to get into Harvard Law School. And so I'm like, you know, maybe I should join the mock trial team. And so I thought about that. And in in reality, I, I was like, okay, that's that's all fine and, and cool, but I really wasn't that interested in that. Mm-hmm. And so instead of going with the thing that I, I thought might make me look good for law school, I went for the thing that I think I was most interested in, and that's working on real issues on Harvard's campus and for the surrounding community, and that ended up being student government. And, and so I joined student government, which is actually the most difficult your freshman year, because everybody comes in having been like, student body president, class yeah. president at their <laughs> high school. Like you could you could literally fill an entire, I think probably five or six classes of people who apply to Harvard of only class presidents from their high school. Right. And so it's like, you know, that's what people are gonna do when they come to Harvard because they're like, oh, I'm just gonna do student government here too because that's what I've always done, et cetera, et cetera. Like when the popularity contest of, student government and so you have normally about 15 to 20 people running for three spots for for each yard and so I was I was able to win the spot for my yard and that was just unlike anything I've ever experienced because you're you're trying to introduce yourself to people for the first time because the election is the first week of school and wow. you, you never, you don't know. I don't know any of it. <laughs> That's <laughs> crazy. Like, hey, First week of school. I'm Noah. Nice yeah. to meet you. Vote for me. <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, it's really difficult. And I think that's another thing that makes it harder is like, you kind of just got to be doing the shameless plug all the time. <laughs> uh, and so, but but it was a really cool way to get to know people. And um, people, so, some people still remember me from from that. And I think. It's like, well, we have to be friends now. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And yeah. and so it's just a really odd thing because there there are very few colleges where you just come in knowing pretty much no one. And so every person could be, you know, the next like every person you meet could be the next Bill Gates. And so you you're you know, you're always like cognizant of the success that you're around, but you're also like and I'm trying to win. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was tough, but but I was fortunate enough to win. And and uh, as I grew on the council, I, I moved forward from into um, a fir- the, the finance committee chair position, which is a really uh, the most prestigious chair committee chair position. I held that as a freshman. And then I went on my sophomore year to become treasurer. And then um, junior year was um, it just seemed like a natural progression to to run for, for president, I felt that my vice president and I were like, not only the most experienced candidate, but also just the one most able to meet that moment of needing experienced leadership, but also a, a kind of fresh perspective as far as like what we could bring from our life experience. So Harvard established 1636. Right. You're running for president in what, 2019, 2020? 2020. Never been done before. Did that take away the pressure similar to what you experienced in high school or was it a, a big deal? Like, okay, 380 years, they never had an African-American president. 
Why me? Well, I mean, I, I can't say it's really something that I felt was um, was a burden of mine. You know, I, I wasn't really thinking about like, okay, you know, we have to, this is our only chance, you know, mm-hmm. because I think I just knew, you know, if it wasn't going to be me, it would be somebody else soon, just because of the diversity that you, you know, you mentioned before and those statistics that it wasn't for lack of qualified people, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's just student government for one reason or another, probably because of how difficult it is to get into when you're first there. It's kind of like that leads to a tendency of less um, Black and brown people to run and win. So I, um, I guess when I, when I got that position, I think I definitely made it very much a goal of mine to, to make sure that people who looked like me knew that this was possible for them because it, it just doesn't feel possible when you first get on campus and see the most aggressive, ambitious, popular, you know, people kind of going on, fighting off for this one thing, like the second you walked on campus, you know, you got to Harvard, it's like, you know, you want to kind of take a, a breather, but no, it's just like right into it. Right. Hey, no time for just taking pictures around campus, huh? No, everything <laughs> has a purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'd imagine, like you said, that's super competitive. So I can imagine sure. the cutthroat and some of the, you know, backbiting and whatever that has to go on in these elections, you know. Uh, you, you know, I think for most, for the most part, people are just all trying their best. Yeah. I say some of that stuff comes closer to the presidential elections because those are just more high stakes. But I'd say like for the freshman contest, it's just like, you know, who's working the hardest because yeah. no one knows each other. So over the course of two days, I knocked about, I knocked about 600 doors, just, you know, like I'm gonna knock all these doors. And, and if I don't, if I'm not successful, I'll know that I did everything I could to, to win. Sure, sure. So you do all this stuff to campaign and then boom, you win the election. What was your life like the next day? You know, phone ringing off the hook for interviews, what was going on? Um, yeah, you know, it was, it was actually, it was a crazy experience, you know, first of all, we were virtual. So the entire campaign was virtual. Wow. (laughs) And, you know, so there was no in-person campaigning. So that whole time we were just running, you know, graphics on social media, calling people, texting people, emailing, trying to meet virtually with student groups to get endorsements. We, we actually broke the record for endorsements from clubs um, just because we were working so hard. And when, when we won, it was just an overwhelming sense of emotion and pride. And like, it wasn't even like, I was like, oh, I'm the first, you know, black man to be student body president at Harvard. It was like, I'm student body president of Harvard. You know, it, it was just, <laughs> you know, you know, I, it, it was just a crazy moment because I looked back to when I was walking on campus and I was just so, I was just so happy to be a Harvard student. Like, I was like, wow, I'm a Harvard student. That is so cool you know what Mm -hmm. i mean and to be the person leading all the harvard students is like that's just a different type of um weight and um privilege to even be in that position so i think i was i was honored that 
people kind of just saw that in me and because it it wasn't like I was able to like be right in front of them the whole time mm -hmm. you know the election was happening and see how people are perceiving me or how it was going but we we won pretty convincingly and it was just it was just a great feeling of uh joy relief uh, initially there there wasn't a whole lot of media coming in and then it, it took a you know it took about let's say um you know about four or five days but then it it started with um like cbs this morning news nation and then uh, next thing you know is good morning america msnbc usa today cnn and i'm like this is crazy <laughs> yeah. yeah you know yeah. um and it's it's uh it's something i look back on and it it just feels like a a blur uh but I definitely, um, I definitely did enjoy that moment, and I look back on it fondly. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just hard to explain. It's um, you don't, you don't even, I guess, recognize the significance of what's happening when you're in it. But, um, but you, you definitely do after. Absolutely, absolutely. So you did get to spend your year as president on campus, right? Half of it. Half so of it. we are. So my entire junior year was virtual. And the first semester of junior year was the campaign process. And then we won in mid-November. And then the second semester of junior year was virtual. But for both of those semesters, I was in the Boston, Cambridge area. Mm -hmm. So I was around and I could see people, but we just, there were very few people on campus because they needed to de-densify it. But then first semester of my senior year was full on campus. And so I did, I did get to experience it for in person for like that half of the term. Gotcha. All right. So you'll be graduating soon. So what's your future plans? You mentioned Harvard Law School. You've already been accepted into Harvard Law? That's right. Already been accepted. And so I'll take two years off in between um, because it's the junior deferral program. So you get accepted your junior year with the stipulation that you'll take two years off after you graduate. And so I'll graduate in 2027, um, which is hard to believe. Uh, you know, 2022 seemed super far away in 2017 when I got in, but 2027 just seems like a world away. Um, but future for me, I, I'm really interested in constitutional civil rights law. I, um, as I said earlier, like I, I want to be a resource and I want to be someone that can take a bad situation and turn it into something that is positive and something that brings progress for, for all people in our communities. And um, so I guess wherever that leads me, um, you know, will be will be on God, but you know, I'm I'm putting him first and I'm just I'm just ready to see what's next in the journey. Absolutely. Man, that's beautiful. All right. So on timeout with the sports doctor, this is your final timeout. All right. So what does it mean when I say to you that you are black history in the making? <laughs> it just, it feels, um, it feels big, you know, it's, um, it's something that you perceive to be these figures who are just larger than life. When you think about black history, it's Martin Luther King Jr. It's, um, you know, uh, Thurgood Marshall, it's John Lewis, it's, all these people who are just these figures 
who don't even seem like they were human mm -hmm. uh, and to even be mentioned in like some black history conversations in the same sentences with these these legends frankly is um it's hard to wrap my head around but at the same time i i repeat like okay, a first black man student by president at harvard and i'm like okay maybe maybe i belong in those conversations right right maybe i'm um, a big deal right may, maybe so uh but i you know i come from a, a family that has always taught me to put god first and and be humble and you know never never allow any achievement to one i guess define me but two make me think i'm better than anyone else but no one's better than me either you know so i think that's just a mindset that i have and it gives me the ability to even though i've done some things uh well to never be complacent and to always just keep striving sure and then another thing is who is the wow moment that you had when you met him since you've been at harvard I think well there have been, there have been a lot of those. Yeah. Oh gosh, since I've been at Harvard. I actually keep this there are so many celebrities I just keep this list of people that I've that I've seen. Gosh. Um hey, you don't have to be one. You can ramble off your list if you need yeah, to. Yeah, no. <laughs> I I think it being so I was a being a Heat fan, I think it had to be like uh Chris Bosch. Okay. So I, I went to this event and we, we got backstage passes and I got to, to meet him. And I was like, you know, oh my gosh, you know, you were, you were one of the first like stretch big, like shooting threes and stuff. He's like, oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, and I, and also, also Bill Gates, because I was in, I was working in, in Congress and the, we died, like everybody was making a big deal. And I'm like, oh, okay, what's going on? I looked down the hall and there's Bill Gates. And um, he, he, we like go into the elevator and he stops in front of the elevator because it's too full and the doors are like closing and we like, we could have been in the elevator. <laughs> and, yeah. and then, so we actually came down and he was sitting in the train a little bit later. And so I got to talk to him as well. Um, but, but yeah, so I think those were a couple, but yeah, it's, um, there's no shortage of, of famous people just walking around yeah, you know, you you'll be on the street one night and you'll just run into like Channing Fry and I'm like that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now I hear you. You know, so yeah, it's um there's a whole list but yeah. I think those those first two were were just really cool. Yeah. Well, man, your humility is refreshing. I mean, you are a big deal, right? <laughs> first, like you said, African American president, student body president of Harvard. It's a 380 something years before that happened. You know, many people went through, some had no ability because of lack of access, all right? right. Uh, but it's still a major accomplishment for you, for the race, for my son, for my daughters, people that are coming behind you because the door is open now. You know, and I never want you to, um, I guess, diminish your impact that you're having, you know, literally, you know, when you were elected, they put this out in the local, one of the local magazines, right? right. And this has literally been in my son's room for the last year, you know, oh <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. and so I said, hey, I'm interviewing Noah Harris today. Noah Harris, why do I know that name? 
I said the Harvard, oh yeah, the Harvard president, right? So, you know, you're blazing trails and you're opening doors and you're doing great things and the future is ripe for the picking and your future is so bright and, you know, I'll definitely keep track. I mean, you've been in the news around here since you graduated, right? <laughs> right. Going to Harvard. So that's when I first heard your name. You know, I, I moved here in 2014. I think that was what, 2017, 2018, when I first started hearing about you. And then the book comes out and then, you know, you're elected president. So been kind of tracking you for the last few years. So really glad to sit down and talk to you. Um, and hey, just keep doing what you're doing, man. Will do. Thank you for having me on. It's um, it's just really good to, to to meet you and and all that. Yeah, I appreciate what you're doing. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, hey, I'll be in touch with you. And if there's anything I can do for you, please let me know. Will do. Yeah. You have a good rest of your evening. All right. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and please go out and support this young man. Uh, buy his book, Successful, buy his merchandise. Um, you can find it in the show notes because we want to we want to support his mission. Uh, we want to make his book a bestseller. And I'm really excited to see what the future holds for him. So check the show notes. Please support this young brother. And I'll see you back next week for another great episode. Until later, peace. <laughs>